Hello, everyone. This is Am. And before we go into today's episode, I wanted to say a few words. This is the last episode of this season of the podcast. I can't believe we've gone through 10 episodes already. It's been so much fun producing them, and I look forward to working on the second season. I wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast, who's commented and shared it, and of course, to all of the fantastic guests I've had so far. The podcast will be back with a new season soon. In the meantime, please do continue to share the podcast with any friends, colleagues, or anybody else you think will find it interesting. Of course, don't forget to leave a rating or review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And if you want to come on the show or think anybody else you know would be a good guest, then please do get in touch with me through fringelegal.com and I will try my best to accommodate any request. Thank you again and on to the usual episode. You're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is the show for lawyers and law firm leaders. I'm your host, Ab. In each episode, I talk with technologists, key players, and experts to help you navigate the changing landscape that is the legal profession. If you're looking for strategies, learn about trending topics, and get updates from the experts, then this is the place for you. Let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Clarissa Raywood today. Clarissa is based in Brisbane, Australia, and she is a family lawyer, mediator, speaker, but you might know her as the happy lawyer. We'll certainly get into why she's known as that, or from her very popular podcast, Happy Lawyer, Happy Life. So in this episode, we'll aim to uncover quite a few things relating to happiness in law, empathy, and essentially Clarissa's past and future plans, actually, for what she's doing. So Clarissa, welcome. Thank you for coming on this episode today. Thank you so much for having me. And I suppose the first question, which will help uncover and set the stage is, how did you get into legal? What's your, what's your story? <laughs> so I'm conscious that you have 20 minutes and not like two <laughs> days because it's not a, I wanted to be a lawyer and I became a lawyer story. I actually finished high school, as many of us do, and got good marks and had choice about what I was going to go and study. And I, at one point was going to study marine biology and work with dolphins. And that was my, you know, vision of the rest of my life because I thought, I thought that'd be a glamorous and fun job to have. And then I ended up studying interior design of all things at university for my first year and a bit, which is obviously the study of interiors and design and color and all sorts of things that at the time, I think I was just too young to really appreciate and understand. And it was a very creative degree to be doing. And I've got a very logical part of my mind and a very creative part of my mind. And I was struggling in the creative degree thinking, oh, this this is a bit fluffy. I need something much more hardcore. So I dropped out of interior design, spent six months doing a bit of strange things, part-time jobs and whatever it was as I went to find myself at the ripe old age of 19 and for some bizarre reason enrolled in a law degree. I think because it was the furthest I could think away from having been in a design degree. I thought law 
I, I didn't know any lawyers. I don't have family members that are lawyers. I haven't grown up around lawyers. And for me, in my mind, it was that's what smart people do. They do law and it's clearly a very serious career and it's a very logical career. So that will make sense for me. And, you know, to fast forward a few years, I, I did an arts law degree with art history and I really struggled with the study of law. So as much as I thought I was all about logic, I am actually all about creativity. And as we all know, practicing in law, it isn't necessarily logic. It is very grey at times. And I found that really confusing as well. So the actual study of law, I found quite tedious and challenging, but I didn't want to have to tell my dad that I had dropped out of a second degree. So I pushed on to the end and took a job in a teeny tiny law firm here in Brisbane where I live, where it was literally my boss who was a lawyer. I became the what's over here called an article clerk, so like a trainee, and there was a secretary. And from the minute I began in a law firm, I loved it. So the practice of law, working with clients, that side of what we do is what I just love about the job. You know, the law part of the law has always been the bit that I find harder (laughs) and less enjoyable, (laughs) but obviously is very necessary (laughs) that I will do. But it's for me, it's very much, it's the human beings and the people that keeps me in this job. That's, that's so interesting from marine biology, interior design. I know. Arts I'm a law. bit weird. <laughs> it's fine now. And <laughs> the tiny firm that you initially joined, was that a family law firm or as in did they practice family law or how did you get into becoming a family lawyer? It Look, it was. It was actually primarily a criminal law firm when I joined. My boss at the time he, he had set up a practice in a small part of like a little suburb basically and so he did a lot of criminal law and that was primarily what I did for the first two years of my career was a lot of crime work. Mm. But we did we dabbled in family and then my boss went off and did a series of exams that made him a specialist in family law and so we started doing more and more family law and it was just an area of law that I really resonated with. I really enjoy I really enjoy family law. I know that sounds terribly strange because the people that I'm working with, no doubt not enjoying their experience at all in the sense of going through a divorce is such a difficult thing. But I really enjoy working with people and that part of the law and the family law aspects of it and all of the different issues that come into that I find really interesting. Yeah, and I think in family law, especially from friends and actually, you know, some colleagues have have experience with family lawyers. It's something that generally people will dread because, well, they're going through a uncomfortable, difficult position in most instances. And, you know, the last thing you want is to be talking to lawyers. And I, I think that's something, at least in researching in what you do, it, it's important. And as you said, it's about people's experiences. It's being able to calm them down and actually humanize them as, you know, as they are humans, that makes that experience, that, that transition quite manageable and humane for them and actually something that they shouldn't be afraid of. So how, how do you think some of the ways that you do that in your practice? Look, if you could see me now, and I know you can't because it's a podcast, not a vlog, my practice visually is very different to the norm. So whatever sort of stereotypes people have in their mind about what a law firm looks like, mine is probably the opposite end of that immediately. So when I did the, you know, this is my interior design coming to play, but when I did the design of the firm that I set up, it's very colourful. It's 
it's very quirky. It's designed to be like a home rather than a professional office. In this, when, when I say professional office, we're obviously professional, but in my mind, a big firm, certainly here in Australia, tends to be all white or all timber and very impersonal, whereas we really tried to make this a very homely space, knowing that the clients that we were seeing are managing really difficult personal issues and we didn't want the space to become just another continuum of challenge. We wanted it to be warm and kind and soft. And I think that then flows through our whole service delivery. As much as family law obviously involves all sorts of legal concepts and legislation and issues and all of those things, for me, I think it's actually 90% human emotion and 10% law. And my practice is very much set up to really try and focus in and hone in on the emotional aspects of the divorce experience where they intersect with the legal experience. And I think a lot of family law, certainly when it's taught and practiced in a very pure way, does the opposite. It says, look, sorry about the emotion. We're lawyers. That's not our problem. Go find someone that can help you with that. We're here to focus on the legal issues. And forgetting that, in fact, it's the emotion that drives us as people. It's emotion that drives our decision-making, drives our behaviour. And so for us, we've really tried to take a very client-centric approach of saying these are the emotions that people experience in these sorts of moments and how can we work with them rather than against them? How can we treat our clients like people, imagine, that are going through very human experiences Mm. and how can we change the way that we deliver law to make it more manageable for the everyday soul that is encountering a divorce experience? Yeah, and I I think that's so important regardless of the area in which you practice not not just because you know you should try and assist your client whomever that might be within the bounds of the law but you have to i think it's important to to realize that look at the end of the day at least the person that you're dealing with even if you are dealing if even if you are working in sort of corporate or tax or some you know some kind of professional-esque area where you are helping businesses, the person you're dealing with on the other side of the phone or in a meeting is still a human being. Yeah. So with regards to that, one of, one of the key things I've learned over my career is the importance of empathy because, again, you know, as, you, as you, I think you very well put, it is a very human-centric profession, ultimately you are servicing people. What's your take in empathy? Because I imagine at least in the family work, it'll be a critical component. But my, my, at least my thesis is that it's just as important regardless of the type of work you practice, whether it's law or something else. What do you think? I think you're right. I completely wholeheartedly agree. And empathy is essential in family law. I think it's essential in all aspects of law. And I think traditionally and maybe a little historically, when I say historically, I mean from the 80s forward. I think prior to the 80s, lawyers practiced differently than perhaps we did between the 80s, 90s and 2000s and now. And what I mean by that is I don't think we needed to be that client-centric. I don't think we needed to be that customer-focused. It was the era of, you know, big law, big money. This is how lawyers do business. If you're doing business with lawyers, they sort of control the terms and this is how it works. And the new law movement and the change and the disruption and all of the things that are sort of every second LinkedIn article at the moment, really when you bottle that down, for me what I think the only difference right now is 
customers and clients are starting to rule the conversation rather than professional service providers. And that's not unique to law. And that's us as well as lawyers. When we step out into the broader marketplace and become consumers, we want relationships with people. We want people that understand who we are and what we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to get done. And that ultimately is empathy. Empathy is your capacity as a person to put yourself in the shoes of another person and see the world from their perspective. You don't need to agree with their perspective. You don't need to have lived their perspective, but you need to be able to say, if I was that person and I was in their shoes, this is how I might feel in that circumstance. And I can therefore understand why they are reacting or responding in a particular way. I think where lawyers get anxious about the word empathy is the sense of, again, that emotional attachment with clients and the fear that the minute I start taking on the emotion of my client, I'm going to suffer burnout. I'm going to be carrying their load. I'm not going to be able to continue in this profession. And I challenge that as well because that's sympathy, not empathy. And they're two very different things. The capacity to understand someone versus taking on all of their challenges and, you know, carrying them around for them are two very, very different things. And I think when you can understand someone deeply, you can do far better work with them than if you are at a surface level trying to sort of take on all of their problems and solve them for them magically and carry the weight of that challenge. So I could, you know, empathy is, I think, the key thing. And when we, again, look at a lot of the emotion, the emotional intelligence thought leadership that exists in, in the business space at the moment, they, it's all coming back to that same question and point, I think, for me, understanding people, understanding how the human brain's working, understanding how the person that you're working with sees the world, experiences the world and trying to operate accordingly. That will be the power of business and business owners and lawyers into the future. Yeah, and I think we're getting into this... <laughs> I don't want to call it the golden age, but I'm going to call it anyway. And the golden age of sort of neuroscience as well, and actually getting a full appreciation of how our brains translate certain emotions and how we perceive information in the world and the impact one person can have by just simply understanding what another is going through, right? Whether that's in a professional capacity. And I think you're absolutely right. It shouldn't, it doesn't, understanding something doesn't mean that you have to agree with what they're saying for one. And it certainly doesn't mean that you have to carry all of the emotional burden that they carry because especially as a a professional being client focused, being customer focused, you still have to be able to look through that at sometimes the bigger picture, sometimes the, the finer detail to come up with something that might be the best path forward, right? So whether you're proposing a solution, whether it's something else, understanding exactly what's important to them and what they're going through can certainly make the difference. And I mean, one of the things you mentioned is avoiding burnout. And I think that's probably as good a segue as any to talk about your title of the happy lawyer. Mm. So how did you come to be known as a happy lawyer? <laughs> Not deliberately, can I say. And I have, I have really pitched. That I'm, that, that, that no, no. I was silly enough to, to launch a blog back in 2013, I think it was, mm-hmm. so five years ago now, called The Happy Family Lawyer. Well, it was thehappyfamilylawyer.com was the blog domain. That's where the name came from. And that ironically 
I launched at a time when A, I had no idea what blogging was, so that was interesting, <laughs> and B, I wasn't very happy. I was really questioning whether I could stay in law. I had run my business for about five years. I didn't want to come to my own firm. Like that That's never a good thing when you're a business owner and you're not wanting to go to your own business. That says mm. everything. And there was just sort of the perfect storm going on in my life. I'd had my first daughter. I wasn't really sleeping. I had people in my team that weren't probably aligned with what I had in my mind as the vision for my team. Just all of those things coming together at once. And I was a few years into being a lawyer by then and starting to go, wow, this is this really is what life as a lawyer is like. And I'm not sure that I need this. So the irony for me is I, by chance, still don't know why to this day, started a blog called The Happy Family Lawyer. And I just started writing on a weekly basis about questions that my clients would ask me about things that I saw in the world with largely a legal focus. But I also started to write about happiness. And I talk to you now with the benefit of hindsight. So at the time, I didn't have this, you know, purposeful, I'm going to start exploring the concept of happiness. I just now look back on my writing and every second or third article, I was exploring what is it that makes people happy? And why do I not feel happy? Because the question I was posing to myself at the time was, I live in Australia, which if you haven't been here, is just the most magic country. We really have so few problems and we are so lucky and don't realize that. Mm. I have a good husband. I have a good family. I have a good job. And I was really starting to sort of slap myself across the face, I guess, and say, come on, like it's time to see the good in what you have rather than getting stuck in the not so good uh, you're feeling every single day. And you mentioned neuroscience a minute ago, Ab. I just get lost. I love reading psychology and neuroscience and understanding the human brain. And the more I did that, the more I really looked into why is it that particularly we lawyers get so stuck in the negative? Why are we so focused on the pessimistic outlook of life rather than the optimistic outlook of life? Why do we get burnt out? Why are we stressed? I found it so fascinating. And, you know, there's a summary version of all of what I've learned, but I, I ended up writing a book, obviously, on the topic, Happy Lawyer, Happy Life. And as you mentioned at the beginning, I, I then started a podcast interviewing other lawyers about how do you manage the stress? What have you done in your career? What are all of the different things? And I found that such a joy to just speak with so many different professionals in so many different parts of the world that we work in. And these common themes just keep coming out, which in essence are, you can't be happy all the time. Every lawyer gets stressed at various times. Every lawyer has moments where they say, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. And I'm sure if I went and spoke to every doctor or, you know, every diesel mechanic or every pilot, every human being has moments in life where they say, I'm not sure this is for me anymore. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the things that certainly I think help when it comes to avoiding burnout and maintaining this career is a bit of a level of honesty with yourself that you are in a career that is stressful. You are in a career that is a brain job and you can't necessarily turn your brain off at 5 p.m. and head home and turn it back on again at 9 a.m., particularly in this wonderful world of technology and emails. And I think just being honest and accepting that, but seeing the joy in that as well and changing your language and saying things in your own mind like, I'm so lucky that I get to be a lawyer. I'm privileged to be a lawyer. Not everyone gets this opportunity in life. Also really thinking about the area of law that you want to be in or the style of lawyer that you want to be. And there's no better time 
the now to to be the sort of lawyer you want to be. You can start a practice with a credit card, a mobile phone and a laptop, not have an office and have a very viable little business. So the barriers to entry for all of us in terms of living the life and the law that you want, gone. And I think that's wonderful. It creates so much opportunity. So if you're in a law firm and you're working you know, till dawn and questioning whether that's for you, then ask the question, is there a different way I can do this? Or maybe this is for me, this is what I want. But just being honest with yourself, accepting that it is a difficult and at times stressful career, knowing that burnout is, is probably a normal thing as well. But more importantly, realizing when you're in those moments and finding ways to get yourself out of them. So taking breaks, having good supports, connecting with friends and family, not overworking, you know, not making it the norm that you worked till past 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night because the human brain, go do some neuroscience reading, <laughs> simply can't function. <laughs> like it's, it's like being drunk, which I think is cool, and then sticking yourself behind a car and then saying, I'm now going to draft this really complicated legal document for a client. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not sensible. I should stop talking. I could talk for hours about this topic, obviously. It's perfect. Yeah, that means I don't have to do as much talking, so I love it. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think you're so right. And it's funny that you mention the, the effect working to late hours in the morning and starting again early hours in the morning has and I say this as we're recording this 1am my time oh god sorry <laughs> I, should, I should listen to my advice but it's okay I get to wake up later so that's fine. the time zone I'm so sorry <laughs> no, you no, should have said fine. Clarissa that time is terrible <laughs> no no it's fine for me but the I think it, it's an important thing because and I know this at you know because I think I have the same passion for reading around neuroscience and so on the the impact of being sleep deprived on a continuous mm. basis is exactly as you said it is and there's been studies done on this, that it is exactly the same as basically being drunk and trying to work. There is something yeah. called steep debt and you know whether you repay your sleep debt, whatever that might be for you, because there isn't a right answer for how much sleep you need, but it certainly isn't going to be two hours a day. That's for sure. <laughs> it might be yeah. six, it might be eight, it might be 10, but you do have to try and balance that out. And, and it's not just lawyers, it's a lot of people who are working in law firms and legal professions and actually any other professional service business that have to maintain and just be aware of that. I think the point about being having that level of honesty is, is key, especially once you should do the job, right? As with any, I think as with any job for any new lawyers, there is a learning curve and certainly in law based on what you study and what you learn in law school and what practice is like, that learning curve can be pretty steep and depending on the practice you're in. But once you go past that, once you find that level of confidence, as you did after a couple of years in practice, you do have to ask that question, you know, what kind of lifestyle do I want? Because maybe you are one of those people who wants to work probably not 20 hours a day, but you want to be engaged all of the time. Or maybe you're someone who needs to have that human interaction and less of the, you know, law research itself. But you do need to find that out for yourself for sure. Completely. And in doing the podcast and uh, I mentioned to you at the start that I'm a big fan but you've done 118 episodes by my account what was maybe the key learning or the trend that you noticed in how lawyers and other professionals are dealing with the stress because yeah there'll always be stress for sure without a doubt and you know beyond having a mindset shift which makes all which makes a significant difference what are, do you know of any other tips or ways that people tend to manage that stress 
Yes, I do. So the beauty of the podcast is in part, it's reinforced what I had, I guess, what I had learned myself, what I had tested on myself, the reading that I'd done, but it's also extended that and given me insight into other things. So in my, my sort of my book and my theory is that each of us individually, whether we're lawyers or not, there are things that we can do that cultivate happiness, cultivate joy, a sense of contentment, whatever word you want to use. I use happy because it's just easy and most people understand what happy or unhappy means in very basic terms. But if you, you know, just think about it, we can't be happy all the time, but there are right. things that you can do every single day that give you the best chance of maintaining a sense of joy mm. or recreating a sense of joy, even when life is really tough. Mm. The key in that, the first thing is health. And this has come up in so many of my podcasts is the lawyers, you know, that are super successful are healthy. And when I say healthy, what I mean by that is they sleep exactly as you were just saying. And then they focus on their sleep and they have routines about that. And they see sleep as essential and important. They look after their, their health in terms of what they eat. And I think lawyers are notoriously, we're terrible when it comes to our diets because we sit at our desks all day. I'm doing this today, <laughs> mind you. I've got all my Christmas deliveries on my desk right now. So I've been eating M&Ms and all sorts of stuff all day. But, you know, we sit and we drink coffee and we snack on food and we don't stand up and we, we don't fit in exercise. And you think to yourself, I'll get to the gym, I'll do that later. And next thing you know, you're working and then you get home to your family and you haven't done any exercise. So health is king and key. And you've got to start by putting that into your time or your calendar before you do the other stuff. Because if you're not looking after yourself and the saying on the aeroplane, if you don't fit your own mask first, it's near impossible to help anyone else. And we have to, we have to do that. We have to see value in keeping our bodies and our brains healthy. We simply can't work. And you see only just last week here in where the community that I practice in, a gentleman that's a super well-known lawyer here, an amazing man, has just had an amazing career where he's, you know, worked so, so hard just died of cancer last week at not an old age. And it just, it's those moments for me that make me go, gosh, you know, life is so fragile and short. We have to look after ourselves. We have to keep this stuff in, in context. So health is king. Your attitude and your mindset, and you mentioned this as well, Ab, is really important. And gratitude practice is one of the simplest, easiest ways neuroscience is also showing us that gratitude practice changes our brain in a good way. And so taking a moment each day to just pause and reflect and say, even though today was, you know, chaotic and stressful and difficult, what am I grateful for? And I always say when I'm teaching over here in Australia to anyone living in Australia, just start with the basics. You live in Australia. Like if you can't be grateful for that, then there's a problem. So just start there. The rest will come. But, you know, there's simple things. Like I saw a sunset or it was beautiful or my daughter smiled and it was amazing or whatever it is. They're simple things. But once you start creating a practice around that on a daily basis, it literally changes how your mind works. And as a result, you will manage stress better. Passion, purpose, and authenticity are important. What's really come out for me in the podcast, though, is creativity. I am a really naturally creative person, and I, I had underestimated the prevalence of creativity in the lawyer's that I have interviewed, all 118 of them. Sometimes I think, is that like a obtuse sample because they're people that have been drawn to me and I'm obviously very creative, but I'm not sure that that's right. I'm really learning that 
law attracts creative people. It's just that they're not necessarily actively pursuing their creativity through, say, painting or acting or, or the things where we all go, oh, that person's creative because, look, they made that thing. What I've observed is that lawyers use their work to express their creativity, whether it's the barristers and the way they advocate in court, whether it's the, the way someone drafts documents, whatever it is, that is actually key to wellness and happiness. And I think all of us as human beings are actually super creative. It's whether you allow that to be explored in your life or not. And I encourage anyone listening to think about how you can get creativity in your life, whether it's you go next year and your 2019 resolution is to pursue a painting class and you've never done that before, just do that. Because once you tap into that part of your mind, it again has this amazing calming effect it opens up all sorts of problem-solving opportunities and changes how things work. So that's one of my big learnings. I could, again, talk for hours after something to stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have that, learned so much. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah that, that's really great, actually. And I think to encapsulate all of that, essentially to be able to recreate a sense of joy because, I mean, everyone I've met so far, and again, just like yourself, maybe certain people that... Uh, drawn to the podcast to me, but I don't think so. Enjoys the practice of law, enjoys being in the legal profession. It can be tough at times, but I think if they're able to find their purpose, their passion, then it makes everything a lot better. And I mean, one of my favorite books that anyone who knows me knows this is The Obstacle is the Way, which is essentially around (laughs) finding, you know, finding joy through difficulties and looking at things from a different mindset that look, this is a difficult situation, but I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to learn from this, even if it means, you know, you failed at something, even though lawyers don't like the word failure very much, but essentially changing yeah. what creativity means to lawyers, because I, I think you're absolutely right. Ultimately, if you separate the world into the very black and white of science and art, law falls within the art space, really, but it's treated as a science and it's fine it's probably yeah. in reality but the idea that you should just think look creativity isn't always just about painting and drawing or whatever it's about thinking of things that may not be immediately obvious and sometimes it is that introspective that you need that mindfulness practice that you should have to you know get to that next level and i think it will make people frankly a better lawyer and it'll make everyone a little bit happier yes and on that, as we sum up, because I'm aware of your time and mine. It's only four o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> I am, so I'm, I'm good to go. You're the one that has stayed up till some ungodly hour. <laughs> I was listening to the latest episode and I suppose I wanted to find out, you mentioned in there that you have some audacious goals for 2019. Yeah. Tell us, and some fun things in the work as well. Tell us a bit more about those cryptic things that you have going on <laughs> or planned. Yeah, so 2018, as in this year, has been a real trick for me. I I had my second daughter. I feel like I'm back where I was when I started the Happy Lawyer blog a little bit. Like I've had very much a year of, oh, gosh, this has been really tough. (laughs) And I think really that, that, that is the reality when you have a child and you try and continue to run a business. It's not the easiest thing. I haven't had a lot of sleep. So all of the things that you and I have just spoken about, I've been living. More prime examples, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's been like, oh, golly. And so all through this year, I've really had to be thinking about what is the future of my law firm, of my law practice? Like what what am I going to do? Because I've had the firm for 10 years and times have changed. The industry's changed. The market's changed. And 
my firm probably hasn't changed that much. I, I jokingly use the hashtag over here, new law before new law. Like we were really different before different became a thing. And now all of these new law firms have sort of popped up in my marketplace. And I'm like, yeah, we've done that. And the market's getting saturated and how do we be different? So to cut a long story short, I've made the decision to break my firm, if that's the right way of putting it, to literally pull it apart and to some degree start again. And that's been a really, really tough decision that's taken me all year and really to have to think carefully about what does that look like and how does that work? But I guess like anything in life, some might say that's a failure and you were just making the comment that lawyers don't like the word failure. I love the word failure. Failure for me is exactly that. It's breaking something and saying that's not working for me anymore and it's time to do something different. So in 2019, I am, I guess, starting again with a very different style of law firm, still practicing from the same place in, in the sense of the purpose and the way I practice but in a much more nimble way, reflecting, I guess, the capacity now to practice in a virtual space where I don't need all of the hierarchy and the, you know, the buildings and the things that I needed 10 years ago when I began. And the other thing that's been wonderful over the last two years for me is I've built up, I guess, a side hustle thanks to my podcast called Happy Lawyer, Happy Life, working with other lawyers. So, mm. I have a um, network here in Australia. It, it does have a number of lawyers actually from overseas as well called The Club. And we're basically a community, an online community of lawyers that are like a giant mastermind for want of a better term. And that thing just brings me so much joy. And I get to do heaps of coaching work now with other lawyers, heaps of work in the innovation space. And that just fuels me at every level. So for 2019, there's all sorts of different and new things happening in that side hustle that seems to be becoming a little bit of my main hustle, which is which is interesting. But at the end of the day, I really love lawyers and I love mm. I love working around lawyers and with lawyers. I love watching people build practices and I like helping them build practices. So it's I guess I've learned now watching others and doing it myself. And I feel like it's exciting to sort of start from a blank slate to some degree and say, well, now I know what I know. How can I build the right law firm for me? in the times that we're living in now. So I'll let you know how that goes in <laughs> 2019 <laughs> when right. I'm saying, yeah, so now I'm not employed. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll, you, you'll, you'll have to side hustle it. Worst case. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> but, no, that, no. That's, that's fantastic. I, I mean, it's, it certainly sounds like a brave thing to do, but you get to experiment and test out the waters to find out if you know, this breaking uh, works well. Exactly. It's change, right? Yeah, it sounds like it's you know you're pretty agile and nimble in how the practice is set up, so you can adapt as as the situation might be. And I think that's what we're all going to have to do, whether we're lawyers again or not. I think the future of business is going to require us to move much quicker than we needed to 10, 15, 20 years ago. And the beauty of being a small business is you can you can just go. We're going to try something different and let's try it and let's see what happens. Yeah, I can agree more. And then the last two things I wanted to find out first is you asked this question on your podcast. If you weren't a lawyer, what would you be? So <laughs> let me put that to you. What would you be? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I would be a million things, but probably a, probably a dancer. 
that's very much been my background and there was a moment in my 20s where I could have headed off and pursued that and been a dance teacher and dance will always be a massive part of my life. So probably a dancer, maybe a marine biologist on the side playing <laughs> with dolphins, probably doing a bit of interior decorating and a bit of painting. Not a person that just does one thing. <laughs> yeah, a polygot, a true polygot. Yes, yes. <laughs> Perfect. And then if people wanted to find out more about what you're doing with your practice or the blog or the podcast, how can they, how can they get in touch with you, find out you know how your experiment goes in 2019 (laughs) probably following my blog is the best way to know what's going on in my life and my social media accounts so i am the happy family lawyer as the blog.com and on facebook and on instagram and i'm clarissa raywood on linkedin and twitter and i live my life pretty openly on social so (laughs) that's that's probably the best way to find me Wonderful. And I'll link to all of those things in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Clarissa. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I've certainly had a few things validated and learned a few more things. And yeah, it's been it's been fun to talk to someone I've listened to for a long, long time, actually. So it's, it's been a pleasure for me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. Before you go, I have a huge favor to ask you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It'll take less than a minute and really helps others find the podcast. Meanwhile, you can find the show notes and resources from the episode on our website at podcast.fringelegal.com. That's podcast.fringelegal.com. See you next time.